Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And Dominique, we're recording this right before Christmas, so you get to surprise me with the um, subject of the day. That will be the present that we unwrap is, what are we going to be talking about? I want to talk about cues again. Cues? <laughs> yeah, oh, I want to okay. talk about how subtle, that's the subtlety of cues. That's what okay. I want to talk about. Because we always say that clarity, as a trainer, that clarity is our number one goal that we should make sure that we are clear and consistent, and that will help our trainers be, our trainee rather, be um, serene, be not stressed out, not confused, not frustrated by our training. And so we wanna be clear, but the clarity doesn't have, the clarity can, when, when you try to be clear, it doesn't mean that you have to be big and bold. No. Cues can be really, really subtle. And you can have very complex rules that you make up in your training. And I'm going to give examples of this. Okay. You can, you can have pretty complex rules, but if you're consistent with those rules, the animals will pick it up. You know, we've already talked about um, how skilled they can be at discriminating between stimuli. You know, I'm always fascinated by these researches. I've talked about a few of those researches in the past. You know, those pigeons who could uh, discriminate between Picasso and Monet. And um, there were rats that could discriminate between Dutch and Japanese. And I just... I just read a new one this week about another research where fishes could discriminate between classical and blues music. So interesting. Yeah, so we know that the animals are pretty remarkable at discriminating between stimuli. And and so I know that every time that I'm trying to teach something, I always want to say, yeah, I always think about what my cues are going to be, how they are going to evolve. And I always try and see what the, I film myself so I can see what the animals is picking up as a cue. So we've talked about cues a lot in the past year. And, you know, I'm looking at... Um, some of the rules that some of the trainers that I know and respect have put together and they're pretty complex rules. So I'll give you an example. For instance, um, Eva uh, Bertilson and Emily Johnson-Vey who are into dog agility. So they have a rule um, so that their animal, their dogs can distinguish between. So, you know, in agility, the, the dogs have to work independently a lot. They go from one obstacle to another obstacle. Um, But then sometimes they have to wait at a line. You know, there's a start and you have to wait for my cue to start. 
But then there are the times where don't wait for my cue. If you see the obstacle, just go and run. So how, how do they, how does the animal know? How does the dog know? So they have put up this rule when they teach it and, you know, other people may teach it differently, but their rule is that when they take the horse and they have a thing called transport where the dog is transported from one place to another. They never leave their animals not knowing, you know, loose. So the the, the transport, they, they use, for example, Lisa. what a treat oh, magnet, right. a treat magnet, so that the, the, the dog's nose is in constant contact with the trainer's hand. So this way they can transport their dog from a place, one place to another. They could use a collar grab, whatever. So they transport their dog from one point to another. And if the dog, if when they are transporting, they stop and the dog parks itself, then when they let go, it means stay there and wait for my cue. But if they transport the dog and they let go of the transport while the dog is moving, it means to the dog, don't wait, go rush ahead to the next obstacle. So I find that, and they're, they're really consistent. I mean, they've written this book, Agility, right from the start, and right. it's all over the book. So if you let go while the dog is moving, that's a cue for the dog to rush to the next obstacle. If you let go when the dog is stationary, that means wait for my cue. Okay, so that, that's kind of a rule that they've developed and they're very consistent and the dog knows that their dogs know exactly what to do when. Because the dog has gone through a teaching process. Oh yeah, To absolutely. establish that. I mean, it's very extensive, the teaching process. They go into all these little right. details and it's very errorless too. I mean, they don't, they don't push the dog into the deep end. So, so I was, you know, I was thinking about horses and targets and trying to see, you know, what rules could we have with targets? Very simple behavior, but you could have different levels of cues, different levels of stimulus control for a target. So you could say, in this instance, uh, if I have a target stick, the mere presentation of the target stick is your cue to touch the target stick. Okay, so that's one level of stimulus control. But yet, if I have a stationary target on the wall there, or maybe I have a few around the arena, if I have a few stationary targets, well, I don't want the dog, the horse rather, to go just upon presentation of the target. I want the horse to wait for me to maybe have a verbal cue saying, go touch. Okay. Stationary target with his nose. Okay. Let's say I'm talking about stationary target for nose, nose touch. So, and certainly a horse can learn both, you know, to know that in certain cases, it's whether the target is active or inactive, that will be the cue. And in another situation, they have to wait for a verbal cue. And I even know of people who will, when they want the horse to stay, at the stationary target, they will cue once, verbal cue, go touch. And then they will continue to 
uh, reward to, to give treats while the dog is next to the target because they want the dog, uh, the horse, I'm sorry, the horse to wait near the target. And the, the, somehow the horse is picked up that, you know, yeah, in this instance, you stay next to the target. So, I mean, there are different, and, and it gives the trainer when you have different level of stimulus control like this on a behavior that is always the same, you know, it's touching a target with your nose, it gives you a lot of flexibility because, you know, with this stationary target, you can do some husbandry or you could do a little bit of agility maybe if the horse goes to the stationary target. And so I wanted to talk about rules that we um, subtle rules like that, that we can have to give us flexibility and that our horses can really pick up because they're really good at discriminating between stimulus in our training. You know, because it, it doesn't have to be big and bold all the time. So uh, what would you think of as some examples? Well, I just gave you two. Yeah. Do you have any, but any it, but it's what's not, your thought? But you're, you know... It, it all, for me, it goes back to when somebody says, so what's your cue for that? And I mm. want to say, is, that's, that's not the question you want to ask because it doesn't matter what my cue is. Mm. You know, maybe my cue is I jump up and down three times and, and, and uh, do a circle at the end and my horse runs out to a, to a target. Well, so you go home to your arena and you jump up and down three times and do a circle at the end. And then you look at your horses and you're saying, so why haven't you run out to that target? Because they didn't go through the teaching process. Right. So it's not the cue. And it's, and in a sense, it's not the rule. We can make up any rules we want. We can say, you know, I want you to, with a, with a uh, target on a stick, Maybe I don't want the horse to actually touch the target, but I want the horse to stay a consistent distance from the target because it's a moving target stick and I don't want the horse to catch up to it. So how do right, I go right. about, right. So, so it's not the rule itself. It's, it's that there is a teaching process that I have gone through. So I have to decide what is the future of this behavior? Yeah. How am I going to use it? And that will very much influence how I go about teaching it and what things I need to keep as uh, consistent elements so that I don't end up with a confused learner. But, yeah, but what I'm interested in is how can you add levels of subtlety and flexibility with in a situation that could seem similar, you know? Um, so th th that's why I bring up this, the target because the target can be, you know, you could say, well, you have to decide, are you going to do active or are you going to decide that for the horse to touch the target, you need to present the target? Well, maybe sometimes I don't want that. Maybe sometimes I want something different. And can I do that without confusing the horse? I think, yes, you have to be consistent, but sometimes it's a challenge. 
You know, if, if it's a behavior that looks the same a little bit, but um, you'll want to use it differently in different contexts. And so, and the horse will pick it up that it's, it's not the same behavior or it's, it's the same behavior, but it's a different cue. So, or in the case, in the case of, of, of what I told you about Eva and Emily, it's a different behavior because yeah. in, in one instance, it's stay and don't go to the target. And in the other instance, it's go rush to the target. So, but it's, they're, they're on the same course of obstacle. But it still comes down to, have you gone through a teaching process to teach to your horse what you want? So when you are sliding down a lead rope, I may want the horse to begin to initiate movement when I just begin to breathe down a lead rope. But yeah. then other times I want to be able to go all the way to the snap. That's a good example. Yeah. So a I great go, example. So I go through a teaching process mm -hmm. so that I have... Um, so how does the, the, the horse knows that in this instance, it's at the very beginning and in this instance, it's at the, you, you want to go all the way down because you might want to use either or, no? Yeah. Yeah. So context matters. So yeah. there will be subtle changes in body language that indicates to the horse. Now I need to wait. Now I need, you know. It's just that first whisper down a lead rope. Uh, I'm that's my go, you know. We, so I've I've placed the get ready, get set, go at different points, and that is something that we have gone through uh, a teaching process using the lead to create that flexibility and subtlety of language. And that's really subtle. It's, it's the perfect example. I should have thought about that one, <laughs> but it is. I mean, it's barely a few centimeters of difference on a lead rope, you know, a few inches. And yet the horse will know when to go and when not to go yeah. because there are or, all these other little or things. Or you've got uh, an easier one for people to visualize. You've got a, a horse you're, that you're teaching to stay on a mat. Mm -hmm. And the horse has, you've, you've got a lead rope in your hand. Or maybe you're at liberty, it doesn't matter. Uh, and you're walking around the horse and you want the horse to stay put. So, you, right. so you're teaching the horse, I'm going to be in motion, you're going to stay put. But then you want to leave, you want to walk yeah. off with the horse. Mm -hmm. And the horse walks off with you. So, yeah. so the, um, in one, you're walking off and you want the horse to stay. And in the other, you're walking That's another off. great example. Right. But, <laughs> But again, you are going through a teaching process to show that horse the difference in your body language that says, right now, I want, you, and, and at first you may make it really very black and white. You know, so your body language, uh, there, there may be some really clear and very overt indicators that say, stay put as I move uh, away from you, as I take a step back from you as I rotate and, and, and walk away from you and I want you to stay. And because you're staying, I'm gonna click, come back to you and give you a treat. But now I'm inviting you forward and my body language is going to be very different. And then gradually those differences will become uh, less and less. 
obvious, obvious. To, to an observer, not right. to your horse. But not to the horse. Mm-hmm. And so the, that has evolved through a shaping process so that it can look incredibly subtle. Yeah. But it will be still very clear to the horse what your intentions are. Right. So it's that teaching process. It's saying, what do I need? Well, I need my dog to wait right now until I tell him which obstacle to go towards. So I have set up a process where when I take a piece of food and I put it in my hand and I have his nose plastered to my fingers and we stop and he... um, To wait for my verbal cue to go. And then, right. So whether he's, I don't know whether he's just standing or he's sitting, but he stopped, he's stationary. And then I send him to wherever I want to send him, or I just have him moving and I take my hand away and whatever is immediately in front of you, you go towards. So that's a- That's the rule. Yeah. Right. right. And so that's a process that- uh, and I would look at and say, okay, I'm going to need that because I want to do agility with my dog and that's going to be useful. And so I will teach that. The horses, I, it is going to be really useful for me to be able to what's referred to as ground tie my horse. So my horse is staying, standing still and I can move around him. I can groom him. I can go get my brushes, I can go get my saddle, and he will remain standing where I left him. Really useful skill. But if that's all I've taught, I'm going to be in trouble, because at some point, I'm going to want him to walk off with me. Mm -hmm. So think about how do I teach those differences? Um, There are times where I want my horse to respond to um, some really subtle whisper down a lead, where there is Uh, the belly of the rope between us, huge amount of slack. And there are other times where I want to be able to work in close in the orientation of the classical work in hand, where my hands are going to be right up. The snap. uh, Right up on the snap, right up uh, around his mouth. And I want him to be comfortable with that and to allow me in. And so Mm -hmm. we go through a teaching process that ensures that the horse is comfortable with me being that close and that he's not respond because the other challenge with lead ropes is is the horse is the horse responding promptly because he's trying to keep you out so mm-hmm. it's avoidance behavior mm-hmm. or is he responding promptly because he understands the request and is perfectly happy to oblige to oblige mm-hmm. and he knows that it's going to lead to a click and a treat mm-hmm. and and there, it's not it's not about avoidance it's about understanding the cues and the information that's being provided so there are lots of complexities there but the you know the rules in a sense are arbitrary they're oh yeah, yeah they are up, we're making yeah. up the rules so one of the things when i'm using a stationary when i'm using um target stick Mm. and it's a moving target stick I Mm. don't want the horse to catch up to it Mm. I don't want the horse running it down because when the horse uh you're say you're you're having a horse follow a target and I've seen the horses that get uh 
really grabby. They want to eat get, it. Oh, they get really intense because they've learned yeah. that that they get that they get the click and the and the treat when they catch up to the target. Mm-hmm. So they so and you're trying to to uh, build duration and have the horse follow longer, and the horse is trying to catch up to mm-hmm. like you're you're conflicting. So you're trying to have the horse uh, continue to walk, and the horse is saying, "But I'm my job is to catch that target." And mm. all of a sudden, you've got the ears pinned back, and you've got this intense uh, mm. chasing the coyote out of the field kind of look in your horse, and it's not good. Or you know, even if you don't get to that point, you think about uh, trail riding, where you're riding out in a group, and the horse behind you is has got his his nose, you know, up on top of your horse's, you know, mm. backside, and and it's not the most comfortable thing in the world. So, if you're <laughs> with a stationary target, you're saying to the horse, "What I would like you to do is keep a set distance from this target with the moving target." With the moving target, yeah, right? yeah. So it's a moving target. What I would like you to do is keep a set distance. And really what I'm doing is teaching great trail riding manners. Mm-hmm. The target is, when you're out on a trail, the target is the, the, the horse's tail. And the horse in front of you is a target. Mm-hmm. And I'd like you to keep uh, horse length um, back from it or whatever arbitrary distance you've chosen. So you're teaching that with a moving, when you're using a target stick, and you're moving that target, you're saying approach it, but don't catch up to it. Yeah. And that's a matter of clicking at the right moment. Absolutely. Yeah. So better click early than late because, you know, that's when you're teaching the horse to Right. And there there are other situations where I want the horse, I want the horse to touch the target. You know, and that's really just a matter of the context and as you say, the timing of the cue. So if I want my horse to actually come and touch the target, it's probably, I'm, I'm treating it as a stationary target, maybe a target stick, but I'm not moving it in the same way that I would move. Um, but they, they would know when you have a target stick, unless, because some people do that too, they won't, they won't. I mean, for me, when I'm doing a target stick, I will present it and then I will uh, put it down in between so that it's really clear when I want it to be touched. But I guess someone could just leave it up there if they wanted to teach a verbal cue, for instance. So they would leave it up there and in a way extinguish the presentation of the stick as a cue. And when I see it's a very natural thing right. for a horse to want to touch something that you just bring up. Right. But when when I see that, and it's the same thing when people are working at liberty and they're inviting a horse to go forward and they have a mm-hmm. hand gesture. Yeah. So they gesture with their hand, sort of like a a waiter in a restaurant who's inviting yeah. a horse to go forward, and then their hand stays up in front of the horse. Mm. And I look at that and I just, it's like, mm, we need to work on that. That's, that's not, that's not what we want to see because it's like nagging. Yeah. You know, the horse has responded. Yeah. Responded to the cue and the cue just sort of stays there. Yeah. And what you're going to do is. It's like you're, you're saying, 
let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. It's like I already have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and you're gonna burn out your cue because it's it's always there. And then so Mm -hmm. it's 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 a dance again, it's that beautiful dance of can I invite you forward? And then that go that gesture of my hand fades down Mm -hmm. to my side and Mm -hmm. turns into some other gesture and cue and that's all part of learning how to how to dance with your horse and we will often uh, when we're working in groups we'll put the horses away and we'll work with one another to get the flow of that so that you you have that flow of there's this presentation there's this gesture you're invited forward, we're connected. Now I'm going to fade that out. You're still moving, flowing forward. But now let me invite you into a change of direction or into a stop and back up. And it's all really fluid. And gradually, you can build that out to to have longer phrases. And Mm. yeah. But it's a teaching process. It's always a yeah, and it's some, but it's something you have to think about beforehand. And it's it because I know for me, before I go out, I will I will think about these. I will even write them down. Yeah. I will think about the future of the behavior. I will think about what I think the cues are going to be, and then I film myself. And yeah. sometimes I come back, and when it doesn't work. I'm like, okay, that's not clear. Something doesn't work. Very often I find that something's inconsistent or something is in contradiction with another cue of another behavior. And I just, and I, and the horse tells me it's not clear. You know, it's obvious when I film them, it's not working out. Um, So I'm always on the lookout for what the horse is picking up, what associations the horse is making. And so I come back and I revise my plan. And then I try to come up with these these rules. You know, this is going to be the rule and I'm going to be consistent. And sometimes I forget because I I work on something else and I I have all my, my notes in Evernote. It's in my computer. So it's really easy for me to go back. And so when I go back, sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, that particular bucket had a significance in my rule right. uh, organization, that bucket. So I cannot use this bucket for that. But then sometimes I think, OK, remember, it doesn't always have to be big and bold. They can pick up little context cues that will make this bucket OK to mean something else right. in this context. You know, so it doesn't it always have to be, this bucket means one thing and that's it. So the bigger picture of what you just described is the importance of baselines. So you mm-hmm. want to, so, you know, in terms of how do you establish consistent, clear communication? Well, let's, mm-hmm. so there are two pieces there the getting of uh, baselines, and then the observing your learner's response Mm -hmm. and adjusting your training based Mm -hmm. on your learner's response. So you may, starting out, you may say, okay, I think, you know, what I'd like is for this bucket to be used in this particular way. It makes me think of 
Kay Lawrence, who um, said she's got a notebook for each dog with all of their cues listed. And, and which makes sense given the fact that she does so much freestyle that I'm sure it becomes really important of, you know, which, uh, which prop was used for which dog and uh, what, is this, what is in this dog's repertoire. And when you have five or six dogs currently in training, whatever, it's probably very useful to have that notebook. But what becomes, so you think, all right, I want to, I've got this in mind in terms of what I want to teach my, my horse and it's going to involve this bucket and I'm gonna use this bucket in this particular way. So let me go film it. And then mm-hmm. you discover all sorts of, oh, well, that's not going to work. And that's not going to work. And that looks terrible. It reminds me of one of the presentations that Ken does at, at uh, for the Clicker Expo. And he was showing, I think it, it, well, it was on one of the concept training. It may have been, may have been for the counting study. And mm-hmm. he showed a video of his early setup and it was an okay. absolute disaster you know really? um he and and he showed it you know because it's there were there That's were things useful that, it's a very useful thing very to show useful yeah, because yeah of course you know we think of ken as all you know he yeah, shows yeah. us it's amazing things so it's good to see that in the very you know in mm-hmm. the beginning it, it, there are lots of things that he hadn't thought out clearly enough mm-hmm. and one you know there so there was like this one prop that he wanted to use and it kept falling over. And so it wasn't going to work because it kept falling over and it was clear. And he hadn't thought that thought that through clearly enough. And I think it was in the counting one, uh, the way he had it set up, his dog was, and this gets to your, you know, this conflicting with previous history, his dog was used to coming in front of him and sitting and he was using sitting there wasn't enough room the way he had set things up for the dog to come and position himself herself. And when she sat then that interfered with her, you know, it was just, okay, I need to, I need to change this. I need to change this. I need to change that. And that's, that's how the process works. So you, you get a baseline, you see what it is that you thought through and what parts um, are not going to work and you adjust, you make changes and you have a cup of tea, and then you go back out to your horse, and you say, how did I do? Exactly. And, and you take another baseline. And you're, con- you know, that, that baselines are not this one-off thing. Well, I took a baseline uh, back in 19, you know, uh, mm-hmm. when, I fir- when I first got my horse, when he was two, we took a baseline. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're taking baselines all, all the, the time. time. All they the learn time. all the time. They learn mm-hmm. all the time. And mm-hmm. and then you're observing your learner's uh, response. You know, is this in conflict with previous learning? And if yeah. so, how do I clarify that? So I've taught my horse that he's to go to a, ma- you know, mats, great example. We, we teach horses to go to mats and we want the mat to be a bit like the Borg ship you know, resistance is futile. There's a tractor beam. Horse sees the mat and that pulls the, the horse in. And we love that, except when we don't. Hmm. Because there are times when we don't want the Borg ship to be taking over. We, we're riding the horse and we'd like to ride past the mat. Okay, another good example. Another good example. So how does this, and, and we don't want How to, does the horse know? 
yeah, what and, you want. and we don't want to punish the horse no. for so it's one of the expressions that I use is never make your horse wrong for something that you have taught him to do. No, and and we the way we see cues are you know opportunity for reinforcement if you do this behavior. So right, but then they have to know they have to be clear enough that this time we're going past the mat. So I'm and this time we're going on the mat. mat. So we have to set up a teaching process to make that clear to the horse. And even before you teach it to the horse, it has to be clear for you. That's my point, you know, about the rules is that you have to think about it because, and I know very often for me, and that's what I love about filming is that while I'm training something, I have all these questions firing in my mind, but there's no time to answer. And so when I video I and I watch it again, all the questions come back. And sometimes some of those questions, I will spend a lot of time thinking about it. You know, sometimes I may not have the answer right away. Sometimes I think of you, Alex, and I say, well, because I'll write, I'll write things like, is it okay if I do this? Well, you know, so I write a few things and there's a point where I'm blocked because I don't know the answer. And so I have to ask the horse. Because I have all these different hypotheses that I think, okay, maybe I can do it like this. Maybe I can. And then I stop because I don't know. I have to go ask the horse. So I have to sacrifice. I go, yeah, I'll go ask. I see if if that's enough information, if it's clear enough for the horse or not. And if it's not clear, clear enough, I have to go back and think again. And sometimes I'll leave it. You know, and I won't train that behavior or that cue anymore for a while because I don't know the answer and I'm not ready to go check with the animal. So I'll just leave it. And then it'll, you know, it'll kind of simmer in my mind and I'll come back and then I'll go test it with the horse. But it's, it's that process. And maybe for you, because you have so many years of experience, but but so do you, you have, you have years of experience as well. So I don't think of this as rules. I don't think of that as rules. I think of it as just the evolution of the behaviors. You know, it's the evolution of, so I'm, it's, I I wouldn't, I don't know that I would call them rules, expectations maybe. Well, that's, that's my, maybe it's my vocabulary, but for me, it's really, it's, um, it's really about stimulus control though is where I, I come up with this. The, the other piece word. of that is that I, that when you say you think about cues, you think about behaviors, I would, I would say what, one of the things that we want to be thinking about is that cues and behaviors are a unit, that cues don't exist in isolation, mm-hmm. separate from without a behavior. Yeah, which which is actually why I think your perspective of always saying, look at the horse, what association they are making to find out the cue. And then you can eventually transfer to your cue, whatever you wanted, you know, as a finished cue. But this piece is so important because if you only go from the perspective that I'm going to teach the horse, the cue that I want him to respond to, I think it may take you a much longer 
then if you are on the lookout for association the animals is doing to give you that behavior, use that. And then if you want to transform it and transfer it, you can do that. But for sure, I think you, you um, save a lot of time when you look, and a lot of frustration on both sides, I think too, when you have the conversation about the cue with your animal. And we've talked about this, you know, I think yeah. when we had um, uh, Sarah Owings. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. a while ago, but it was good because you explained this um, perspective of yours of, you know, looking for the associations that the animal is doing to find out what cues are actually being picked on um, yeah. to do this behavior. I mean, so. you, there's, you could certainly start out by, with the idea that I'm going to teach uh, this yellow disc that I'm holding up is going to mean back up, uh, yeah. spin, you know, whatever, whatever I've chosen, lift, lift your, your uh, right leg up in the air, you know, whatever it is, you know, I could teach that as a discrete behavior. Yeah, and but if you're doing freestyle, you may have all these ideas of a show yeah. with different cues that you want to use that yes. will look good yes. and fun. But I still have to go through a teaching process mm -hmm. to end up with that yellow disc that I'm holding up becoming a cue to back up. And in that teaching process, the first clue that the horse uses that says, oh, she wants me to back up. Mm. Probably is not going to be the yellow disc. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you can't maneuver things in such a way that you end up with the yellow disc, meaning back up. And right. Right. So it's and, and in a way, you know, why why I brought it up, why I brought the, you know, the, the discrimination research in the beginning is because. Sometimes I feel that because I want to be so clear, I don't give the horse credit for how remarkable they are at discriminating. And so it, in a way, I like to remember this because then it gives me much more possibilities, more flexibility, more options. There are more things that I can teach in a certain um in a certain context where they will pick it up. And I, I, I have to understand what it is that they picked up, right. but they can, they can be quite, and I think a lot of the impressive performances we see, the trainer and the animals are in this conversation that is so, they're so, well, certainly writing, is a great example yeah, I was of just how, that. yeah, writing is a great example of how subtle cues can be, you know, how complex. And keep in mind that when you're writing, there isn't a cue that is sort of the master controlling everything cue. Mm -hmm. That horse and rider are responding to a variety of stimuli back and forth there are multiple levels of information that you, the rider, are presenting to the horse. The horse is responding to, you are changing your behavior based on that on a really micro level. Hmm. 
and and that's good writing. You mm. know, when you think about what you are you're communicating with your seat, with your waitress, you've got your your legs on either side of the horse, the uh, uh, the weight of uh, in your uh, stirrups, you've got what's going on uh, through your back and your shoulders and your hands and your breath and and all of this on a micro level is communicating to the horse. It's a very mm. complex exchange of information that is going on. It is not a cue. Mm. It is a rich array of information that the horse and the, and the rider have learned to process. So there's, that's another piece that, so in terms of skill building, there's the skill building of how do I learn to physically slide down a lead rope so it's smooth and it's clear and I, you know, I can slide down a lead rope and I can get off a lead rope without it being a jarring and unpleasant experience. There's, so there's a physical skill that's involved in that communication. And then there's also the skill of how do I make rapid fire decisions. So in um, Daniel Coyle in the talent code, one of the things he talks about is the, are the soccer players that come out of Brazil where they, they play what's called futsal, which is a, a type of, it's an adaptation of when you don't have the space, when you're growing up in the slums and you don't have big soccer fields to play on. You just have small areas in which to play. So you have something that's the size of a tennis court and you are playing a version of soccer. And so soccer is condensed, it's compacted into something that's the size of a tennis court. So when you kick a ball, it's not going very far before somebody else is encountering it and kicking mm -hmm. it. And then it only goes a short distance before somebody else is kicking. So it's quick. It's quick. So they figured that in, in a futsal game that a player is contacting the ball 600% more, more. more than he would in, on a big soccer field. So mm -hmm. they learn this incredible footwork, which then when you take it to a big soccer game, they were just beating, you know, they, they were world champions. And what they, the skill that they were developing in part is how to make these rapid fire decisions because there were so many changes that were coming at them. And one of the skills that we need with the horses hmm. is we need to be able to make rapid adjustments yeah. in terms of what we're asking. Hmm. I, I'm sliding down a lead rope. I'd like you to go forward. But there's what I'd like you to do is come forward, but only enough to put your foot on the mat. Ah, but you've come forward more than that. So I now need to change my thinking and ask you to back up. Well, mm. if I'm slow mm. and noticing that maybe I need to change what I'm asking for, then my horse has gone two or three or four steps past the mat. And now I'm saying, could you back up rather than being able to make just a nuanced shift. I'm asking my horse to go up into shoulder in. And, and as my horse comes up and around me, he has a balance wobble. 
And the expression is even Olympic athletes fall off of balance beams. So it's not a big deal that he has a, a wobble in his balance. The question is how quickly does he adjust and find himself back in good balance? So as he's coming forward, I feel that, that fall in his balance. So I redirect his energy and back to, I reset him so that he can begin again. Well, I need to be able to feel that loss of balance, observe it, make a decision about it, put in a request, redirect the energy and send him back. And those are very, those aren't over uh, two or three or four or five steps. It's all within the shift of balance within one stride. So those are skills that we're learning as well. And I wouldn't think of those as having, it's not so much that it's rules. It's Yeah, but it's like a system, you know, or I don't know what the proper word is. Because also, I guess rule has a coercive, maybe connotation. but or rigidity to it. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, when, when I describe what Eva um, and Emily is doing, it's, it's a very precise system. And in a way, it is rigid, but not in a bad way. For me, it's clear, it's consistent. So what's the difference between consistent and rigid? Well, with Panda. The animal is not right. punished. If, if So what Panda has learned is that when she comes to a curb, a change in elevation, she's to stop. And because she is uh, a guide for a blind handler, uh, that has to be 100% consistent. There will never be a time when her blind uh, handler can see the curb, can see the changes in, in elevation, can see the broken crack in the sidewalk, the root sticking up through the sidewalk, the whatever it is. So it's uh, a rule in a way. You know? it's, it's when you come to a change in elevation, that is a cue to stop. And then there is an unfolding after that of what happens next. But that's been taught by being consistent. And mm -hmm. so Panda has generalize that uh, really well to all kinds of contexts. So she recognizes and responds to um, that environmental cue. Mm. And I remember it was so cute because uh, early on in, in her training, I think she was probably two because Anne had, she was, Anne was starting to use her. We took, we were all going out to the equine affair, but because of Anne's teaching schedule, she couldn't drive out with us. So she flew out and Panda, we brought Panda out in the uh, horse trailer with the other horses. So Panda was there ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And there was someone, I had a couple of clients with me and I was busy with various and sundry things and we needed to take Panda out for uh, I'm not sure. We needed to move her to a stall, probably. And so I had uh, this other person take her. And okay. this other person is just leading her like you would a normal horse. 
And And she can see, so. And she can see. So (laughs) she's just walking along and they got to the edge of the building and it's an open overhang and Panda slammed on the brakes and gave her this look as of, that is not how we do things. (laughs) That is not the system. It's not the system. And so, you know, there it was clear. That is not the rule. It's not, it's not how we do things. So <laughs> what was so interesting there is that the environmental cue mm. was what Panda was listening to. Mm-hmm. That handler was oblivious to all of that and was just going to march forward. And that did not override all of those, that complete consistency that Panda had experienced of we stop. It was just, it was just really interesting that, you know, you you see it played out in terms of what she was understanding and how clearly she communicated to this person that, you know, we stop at things. So, you know, whether you call it a rule, a system, I think what is the most important thing is, well, not the most important thing, because who knows what the most important thing is, but it's going back to as you think about what you want to teach and how you're going to use the behavior and what you would, how you would like this to unfold, that you recognize that there is a teaching process involved. You need to get baselines. You want to evaluate your learner's response. What's clear? What is, uh, what is conflicting with past learning? What, component skills are missing that I haven't taught that I need to teach that will result in my moving towards this goal behavior that I have in mind where when I hold this yellow disc up my horse comes running at a gallop stops 10 feet away spins ends up with his hind end to the yellow disc and backs up to the yellow disc and puts his rear end against the yellow disc or whatever whatever it is that I want that yellow disc to mean. But I'm going to have to go through a teaching process to evolve that. You know, I wonder sometimes too when, because I, uh, how much, how does preference, our horse's preference interfere in this? Because you know, Woody, he really, really likes to move his hind hand because I've, I've taught him, well, first of all, if I've taught him to back up when the, the cue that I do is I, I will take my hand all along his spine and then continue to walk back and he backs up. Okay, that's okay. one behavior. Then I taught him to, if I put out my hand when I was in the back of him if I put out my hand I wanted his hind hand to come towards okay so he's learned to step under him and uh, um, fall my hand is like a magnet okay? okay that evolved there was a point where and and at first I didn't know this I was going to get a treat and I would notice him backing up the target was my body he loves to target my body with his hind end and he can do pretty amazing things you know where 
if 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 I start, sometimes even I want him to move forward and he will just kind of go around because he wants to back up to me, you know, he or he wants to to move his hind hand towards wherever I am. And whenever there is a moment, this is how I interpret it, but when he finds that I'm not clicking early enough, he thinks, oh, maybe she wants me to do this. And, and he comes with his, because um, the other day we were doing some targeting and he was doing really well and I wanted to add some duration. And all of a sudden he started to, to, to come up with this behavior. You know, he was doing this super complicated thing with his hind end and, and I was, I was amazed. And I filmed it all, you know, it, it was like, I was so amazed. And I thought, oh my God, I never would have dreamed of teaching him something so complex. And this is what he's doing. And there was, obviously there was a stimulus control problem or, or cause you know, we, when we say something is not on cue, it's not a proper way to talk. Everything is always on cue. There is no such thing as a behavior not on cue. It's on a different cue than what you're thinking, but there's always a cue in the environment. So your job is to find it and then clean it up. And I keep thinking he loves doing this thing, you know? So sometimes I wonder how preference, you know, I, I when they like a behavior, and they're not quite sure what you're asking for because the click's not coming as early as they would have expected. You know, we always say they go through the Rolodex of behavior right. they've, they've learned before, but I'm, I'm finding that in a way it tells me what he really likes because it's this behavior comes up a lot whenever he doesn't know what to do. And it's not something, you know, it's not something I taught him at the very beginning. It came much later, but he loves doing it. And so, you know, and I take it into account that he loves doing it, but sometimes I have to not play with that for a while because it's been reinforced a lot. And yeah. I'm finding that I need to reinforce other things because that's not all I want to get. You know, I want to work with other things than his butt. For every <laughs> behavior you teach, there that's is right. opposite behavior. You must teach to keep things in balance. So rather than rules, I prefer principles. Mm. And these things move. Like, you know, yeah. when, when you're teaching something in contrast with something else, um, let's say you're teaching, you know, go to the target and then go away from the target, these things will change. I mean, if you stay too long on go to the target, yep. you won't have the go away from the target That's anymore. Right. And so you'll have to spend a little more time on that. Whereas at the beginning, they always wanted to go away or right. vice versa. So these things evolve. So if, if we keep in mind the principles, I would be more comfortable with referring to principles yeah that's the word yeah it's not so, rules not a system it's a well maybe the, so the principles will lead to the how-tos mm. so for every behavior you teach there's an opposite behavior you must teach to keep things in balance so you know i want my horse to go out to a target in order to go out 
I need to get him to come back mm-hmm. to keep that. Because if he just goes out, then what? Mm. Uh, then does he get stuck there? So if we follow the principles of good training, then what may emerge are rules for a certain activity. So for a certain activity, such as the transport, this is how I want the transport to work. That when we stop, then my learner is to wait. If we're in motion when I take the transport away, then he's to go forward to whatever obstacle is in front of him. That's how I would like that particular system to work. With the mats, in this context, I would like my horse to wait until I release him to a particular mat. In his other context, I might be a situation in which I want him to, if he sees a mat, go to the mat. And so I would need to look at the context and what the needs are, and then think about how am I going to teach that? And in teaching it, am I going to be in conflict with some previous way that I have engaged him with him with mats? And if there is, then then I need to take that into account so that I'm not creating a lot of confusion for my horse. Mm-hmm. And one way to avoid the confusion is to change the environment. So you're yeah. teaching new, a new behavior, essentially a new behavior because you have changed the environment. Mm-hmm. So it's, right. I think the, all of these things that we've been talking about over, you know, the, uh, throughout the podcast, you know, these conversations that we've had with, with Jesus and Susan and so on, you know, in terms of, some of the concepts and principles that we're learning from the behavioral analysis come into play with this. What layer within the training are you looking at? Are we looking at the layer of ethics and belief system? So, you know, that gets into that whole discussion of both the choice of training method, but also the sort of just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, just because you can mm. teach, uh, I don't know, a horse to stand up on his hind legs and, and walk forward like a circus horse, maybe not the best, the best plan in the world for this, this horse who's got arthritis in his hocks. You know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. So you're looking at the level of ethics, and that's going to uh, direct you towards the principles of training. Safety always comes first that uh, that's one of the primary ones, you know, and then for every behavior you teach, there's an opposite behavior you must teach to keep things in balance. There's always more than one way to shape every behavior. That's, you know, another great principle to follow, you know, and so on. And then the principles will lead you to the how-tos, to the uh, how do I go about actually teaching this? And then we're also looking at So there's safety always comes first. And then the other primary uh, principle that I follow is you can't ask for and expect to get on a consistent basis something that you have not gone through a teaching process to teach to your horse. That's why, you know, so when you start talking about the rules, it's like, well, teaching process. And of course, the teaching process that I have gravitated to, it's not enough to say, well, I use positive reinforcement because we know Lots of people who use positive reinforcement, but who 
still will say, but I, you know, if my horse steps on my toe, I'm going to whack him. You know, if my horse uh, pulls on the lead, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to jerk on his nose. Uh, but when he's, when he's nice, I'll give him a cookie. You know, the, the teaching process that I have gravitated to is, we refer to as the loopy training and it sits in the, under the umbrella of constructional training. This seems like a good place to stop for the moment. It's not a surprise that we have come around to a discussion of loopy training and constructional training. That seems as though all roads are leading there these days. Dominique's initial question, though, has raised an important distinction. What layer of the training are we talking about when we talk about training rules? We're going to continue down this rabbit hole to see where it takes us. And I'll just give you a little sort of sneak heads up. It's going to take us to some important distinctions that I think add enormous clarity to the training. If you like this kind of discussion, then you might consider joining me for Science Camp. That's all about plunging down rabbit holes. The early bird price for the February Science Camp is good through December 31st, 2021. So you still have a couple of days to register for Science Camp at that price. I'm still working on the clinic offerings for 2022. With so many uncertainties surrounding the virus, I'm going to continue to teach all of my clinics virtually, at least for the first half of the year. I'm working on the format and the material for those clinics now, and I'll be announcing the first offering early in January of 2022. I always like to include the year because I may be recording this now for an event that's coming up, but who knows? By the time you listen to this podcast, the event may be over and done with. But the, the clinics are going to be ongoing. So if you're interested, do take a look at my website, and I hope you'll connect with me. I've been loving the virtual clinic format, but all of the details for next year's clinics are going to have to wait until January. For now, I want to wish everyone a very happy holiday season. Stay safe, stay well, and have fun with your horses.